Someone said that worrying is, is kind of like a, a rocking chair. Um, it, it, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere, you know? <laughs> um, uh, do you have a problem with worry? Um, do you find that you worry over things that you have absolutely no control? Uh, do you worry about everyday events in life? Uh, that's, that's not uh, new to our time-oriented society. Um, we, our pressure cooker culture that we live in, the people in the first century dealt with worry. Uh, you may be thinking, well, what in the world do they have to worry about? Well, there may be things like, uh, will we get enough rain? Would locusts come and, and destroy our crops? And, and they'd have no food. They worried about so many serious things, just like we do. Jesus had a message for them, and Jesus has a message for us. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we've come to the end of chapter 6. Uh, and Jesus uses this part to talk about the issue of worry. I wonder sometimes in the past that I, I might have applied this paragraph a little too hard. There, there's, a, there's an active shooter at the school where your kids are, but don't worry. Wouldn't that be mean? Wouldn't that be cruel and harsh? Is that what Jesus had in mind? No. So, I don't think, I don't think it was that at all. Uh, and, and then there's the other extreme. And, and it's just a happy-go-lucky, k-sera-sera, whatever will be, will be. Uh, to just be, uh, have a lackadaisical attitude about everything. Careless about everything. That's really not what Jesus is telling us to do either. Uh, please stand for the reading of the word of God as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse number 25. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall you put on. It is, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for this truth that we're studying today and for the message that you are speaking to us about worry today. Dear Lord, I just pray to you, Lord, you would use it to help us to get the proper perspective on the things that, we, that we're concerned about and the things that you've promised to take care of. And dear Lord, I just pray that our faith will be increased as we put our faith on, in you rather than in ourselves and concern ourselves with problems that, uh, that you've got under control. If there's any here today that, they, uh, that have never been saved, dear Lord, I pray that they will see their need for salvation and accept you before it's everlasting too late. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Notice that in verse number 25, at the beginning of our text, he begins with the word, therefore. Uh, Jesus uses the word, therefore, to take us back to what he has just said. And, and, to take it, and to take us forward to what he is about to say. So what did Jesus, had Jesus just said? Jesus has just told us that the citizens of the kingdom of God, one of the things that we... That, that we do not do, one of the places that our focus is not is on the treasures of the world. He said, lay not for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Do you know what happens when we become focused on earthly things? Do you know what happens when our focus is on material things? What, about what kind of cars that we're going to drive or kind of houses we live in, or the kind of food we eat, how we compare to our, our neighbor. Do you know where all that leads to? Worry. Anxiety. Jesus is telling us if we live a life focused on earthly treasures, it's going to lead to a life of worry. Now let me show you something. Look at verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want you to look at verse now at verse number 19, where it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Then skip down to verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pay attention to this right here. Every person here today is either seeking treasures on this earth or they are seeking the kingdom of God. If you have to write down on a piece of paper today, I'm seeking treasures on earth. I'm laying up for myself treasures on earth. It may be ungodly, it may be immoral, but that's what I'm doing. I am focusing all of my time, all of my attention on laying on treasures here on earth. Would you be willing to write that down? Well, that'd be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? It'd be, kind of, it'd be like thinking, well, well, I may be doing it, but I don't want anybody to know about it. Uh, that I'm doing it. How, how are you going to hide that? How are you going to hide that? Uh, no, I'm not going to lay up treasures on earth. That, that is not my focus. That is not my passion. That is not my desire for my life. You can't hide it if you are laying up treasures on earth. You can't hide it if you are seeking first the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you 
that some of the people that God has put in my life are people that had a single focus. And that focus was not on them. It was not on stuff and junk. It was on the kingdom of God. And they worked toward the kingdom of God faithfully. Seek first the kingdom of God. There is no stress. There is no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no spirit of competition when we're focused on the kingdom of God. But if we get out there in the world and we try to keep up with our neighbor... We try to get a little more treasure. We get tense. We are developing ulcers. Our life is going crazy. We are overwhelmed with anxiety. Your focus is wrong. Amen. I want to show you three truths this morning from the text that Jesus tells us about worry. First of all, we want to see that the commands that he gives us related to worry. Verse number 25, it says, take no thought for your life. I want us to first take a look at the construction right here of this phrase. He says, take no thought of your life. It, It literally means stop taking thought about your life. The ideal here is is stop being concerned. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying over the details and the events of your life. It means to stop an action that was already in progress. Let's look at the next part. There are three um, areas that he's talking about. What you will eat. What you will drink. What you will wear. Jesus is saying... Here are some things that you are worried about. You're worried about if you're going to get that the rain that you need for your crops that you need. You're going to work, going to that. Are you going to have clothes to wear? Are you going to have a place to live? Are you worried about all of this? I've got to be honest with you. I, I kind of get their point, don't you? We, we've, we, we, we haven't gone through a depression or, or anything like that, but, but I, I want to make sure I've got something to eat. I mean, I, I've been eating all my life. I've kind of gotten used to it. Uh, we, had, we had some time a couple weeks ago uh, at the national meeting up in Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky with Brother and Sister Langston and... and um, See, we saw uh, the Ark and, and Boonesboro, and, uh, and I learned some things about Sister Carolyn. She's a planner. <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're eating breakfast, and she's asking about lunch. <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's a, she wants to get this worked out. He wants to make sure everything, you know, and, you know, she's, she's like me. She's been eating all of her life, too. You know, we, we kind of get used to that, you know. Uh, some of you right now are thinking, where am I going to eat after this preacher gets finished? <laughs> well, if you weren't, you are now. <laughs> we worry about stuff like that. What are we going to eat? Older people. How am I going to make it on Social Security? What am I going to do if I have to choose between medicine and food? 
What am I going to do if my money runs out before I run out? We have these thoughts. And we tend to worry. Jesus is commanding them to stop doing what you are already doing. You are consumed with worry. In verse number 31, there's another command that he gives us concerning worry. He says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether with all shall we be clothed? He said here, take no thought. <clears throat> this is a little different construction than the first time that he mentioned it. The previous verse in Jesus, uh, said, Jesus would say, stop an action that was already going on. But here the construction says, don't start. Don't start. So when you put these two together, you said, if you are worrying, stop it. If you aren't worrying, don't start it. And, and, and so the word worry comes from an old English word, uh, Reagan, uh, which, which originally meant strangle. Have you ever allowed the circumstances of life, the, the events of life, the uncertainties of life to wrap their fingers around your neck? And feel like they are squeezing the life out of you? <clears throat> Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm worried sick? I'm worrying myself to death. Folks, we don't worry with our minds. We worry with our organs. We worry. Worrying takes a devastating toll on our emotional health, on our physical health. Jesus gives us a command not to worry. Not only does he give us a command not to worry, but there's a contradiction that is revealed when we worry. Uh, please take this in the spirit which I mean it. But if you're consumed with worry, your mind is divided, your life is being squeezed out of you over issues of food and drink and what you'll wear and where you'll live, and you are worried over these basic essentials of life, listen to me, you've got the wrong idea about God. You don't know who he is. I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to be insensitive to anyone's circumstances today. But if you belong to God, you don't know him. If you're allowing your mind to be filled with with food and water and clothes and where you're going to live, God is going to take care of you. Here's the contradiction. I believe God. I believe God can save me. I believe God can, can forgive me of my sin. I believe God can take me to heaven when I die. But I don't believe God can provide me a place to live. He can provide a heavenly home. But he can't provide an earthly home. He can provide you the bread that comes down out of heaven that gives you eternal life, but he can't give you bread enough for lunch today. Well, I believe God can provide all of my spiritual needs, but I don't believe that God can provide all of my physical needs. What? I want you to know that God can and has met all of our spiritual needs. God can and will meet all of our physical needs as well. Now because we're a developed nation, 
We need to understand that it's our needs and not our wants. God will meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. Notice the contradiction in verse number 26. He, he's saying, why are you worrying? Why are you allowing worry to wrap its hands around your throat? This is such a contradiction. This is not the nature of God. Verse 30, 26, it says, Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He said, look at the birds. God takes care of them. By the way, Jesus is not encouraging us to be lazy here. Where it says that they don't sow or reap. They don't work. The point is, an insignificant bird. A sparrow maybe, a blue jay. He's saying, look at that bird. God's taking care of that bird. And you and I, uh, we don't pay attention to the birds. We hear the songs of the bird. We, we don't give it much thought. We see the beauty of the bird, the orange breast of the robin. Or we see the raven that is so black that it looks blue. We don't look at it and say, what a precious, precious bird. But God does. Amen. We know that there is not a bird that falls that God doesn't see. Those birds that seem to you to be so insignificant. Those birds that are in our minds, they have no value. God takes care of them. Then he asked the question, are you not worth more than a bird? Let me tell you today, you most certainly are. You have more value to God than a bird. You are worth more to God than a bird. Let me explain why. A bird was not made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross. <clears throat> didn't die on the cross for the sake of a bird. He died for you. You have more value than a bird. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Who can testify today that God is taking care of you Amen. in your life? Amen. Every step of the way. Amen. Is there anybody here that can say, God's been good to me? Amen. God's taking care of me. The birds of the air, God has given it what it needs to live. God has fed it. Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You've allowed worry to paralyze you. You've allowed worry to make you sick. Just look at creation. Notice verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? You can't add to your height. You can't add a day to your life. You can't. You, there's nothing you can do to add a day or a month or a year to your life. There's nothing you can do to increase your height. Why are you worried about stuff like that? Verse 28 says, Why take ye thought for raiment? Now he's saying, Go out with me to the desert. You have considered the bird and how God takes care of the bird. Now let's go into the desert. And out there in the desert, there are wild lilies. That grows in the cracks of the desert floor. 
The lilies was not grown in a greenhouse. The lily was not cared for by, by a trained horticulturalist. The lily just grows out there in the hot climate of the desert, among the cracks and the rocks, and yet it grows. It survives. But more than that, it's beautiful. Look at it. It's a beautiful lily. You look at the details of that lily. You look at the beauty of that lily. Look at the colors of that lily. And there's not a man alive that can duplicate it. And make it look that beautiful. God did it. And then some shepherd boy comes, comes by that wild lily. And he says, well, it might get cold tonight. He plucks it up and he puts it into a shepherd bag. I'm going to use that for fuel later tonight. But I thought it was beautiful. It is, but it doesn't have any worth. It doesn't have any value. All they do is cut it down and use it for fuel later on. They use it for kindling. They use it to get a fire started. That's really the only value it has. It's not used for anything else. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, Solomon on his best day, when he put on his Sunday best, didn't look as beautiful and ornate as a wild lily growing out in the desert. So what does this have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 30. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Let me tell you something. God will take care of you. Amen. If you belong to God, God is going to take care of you. I want to tell you this. It just doesn't mean that the child of God will not face problems. This doesn't mean that the child of God will not face hardship. It doesn't mean that you'll never have to sacrifice, that you'll never have to cut back, but this does, and this doesn't mean that you can always be in competition with your neighbor and try to outdo one another uh, and have a bigger house and a nicer car and finer clothes. It doesn't mean any of that. Let me tell you what it does mean, that God is going to take care of the necessities of our lives. If you don't believe that, Jesus said that on this matter, O ye of little faith. You know what the Bible speaks of different types of faith, different kinds of faith. He's, he's talked about great faith. He talks about uh, so great faith. He talks about little faith. He talks about no faith. And every once in a while I wonder, what would the Lord say about me? my faith would he say that's little faith with anything I would ever do would the Lord say that is great faith every once in a while I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good spiritually speaking and I kind of think uh, I, I get to thinking boy I'm, I'm really living by great faith then something comes up an unexpected bill unexpected problem comes up and we begin to wring our hands and we begin to worry. 
We say, oh God, where are you? God, how come you blessed my brother more than you blessed me? God, how come you have blessed my, that family more than you've blessed mine? God, you know that I love you more than they do. God pulls out the big megaphone and shouts from heaven into my ear and says, Oh, ye of little faith. That may be God's message to you today. You wring in your hands. There are so many parts of your life that seem to be out of control. Your life is in an uproar. You're trying to handle something that only God can handle. We try to do it. When only God can do it, he is saying, you don't trust me, do you? But I don't want him to say that. That's not what I want Jesus to say. I don't want him to say, oh, ye little faith. I want him to say, yay, I, I can't I understand uh, where you're coming from. I, I'd probably think the same thing if it was me. But he didn't say any of that. He says exactly what the condition of my heart is. And the condition of my heart is that when I begin to worry over what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear and where I'm going to live and how I'm going to survive, you know what that is? It's a problem of faith. David said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Paul said that God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know what I think we should do? I think we should do a little bit more asking and a little less worrying. So it says here is a contradiction. You say God is great and God can forgive sin. God can take you to heaven. God is your father. But then you have... You have what seems to be a shortage here or there. Your response is to worry. No, that's not how to live. Don't lack faith. He says your father knows what you have need of. Let me ask you a question. Would you just take a minute, just a brief moment right here. If you need to close your eyes, do it. Whatever you need to do, what comes to mind when you hear these words, your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. Your Father in heaven knows what you need, and He knows what you need not because you ask Him. He knows what you need because He's God. What comes to your mind? Your Father in heaven knows what you need. The God of the Bible is not the God that knows what his people need but refuses to give it to them. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not him. The God of the Bible is the God who sees the need of his children and he meets that need. Can I say this this morning? Maybe someone here needs to hear this. And God is not against you. God is for you. God is for you. And he demonstrated that according to Romans chapter 8 by giving us his son. 
In Romans 8, chapter, uh, the 8th chapter, and verse 31, 32 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God has given us the greatest need that we could ever have, if God has met our greatest needs, uh, God will meet all our needs, whatever they may be. I'm telling you today that you can trust in God. God will meet your need. God will be faithful to you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is finally we see the cure for worry. The cure for worry. In verse number 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Boy, I should have saved more time for this. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Notice the progression of the passage. Verse 25, he says, therefore. Verse 26, he says, behold. Verse number 30 says, wherefore. And in verse number 33, he says, it's, it's but. Do you see how we've moved through our text? He now says, in contrast to a life of worry, in contrast to a life of anxiety, he says, of living that, instead of living that way, seek first the kingdom of God. This means continually, perpetually, day in and day out, we are to pursue with the zeal that with all the zeal we have in us, the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. If you were seeking this kingdom of God with the same determination that you were laying up treasures on this earth, would your life be different today? Would you have any more peace in your life if you were seeking the kingdom of God the way that you seek the things of this world? Would you have any more joy in your life today if you were seeking God with the same drive that, that you're seeking things, that junk stuff? Would you, would you have any more spiritual power with God if your focus was on the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom and the king and not on the stuff down here? Perspective and focus makes all the difference in the world. I could sit in front of the TV and see Wall Street taking a big hit and say, Lord, what am I going to do in 20 years? I could sit in front of the television and I can see Russia invading Romania like they did in Ukraine and think, Lord, are you really in control? Where I could be uh, kingdom focused, seeking the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how you seek the kingdom of God without promoting the kingdom of God. I don't know how you seek the kingdom of God without advancing the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom is different than the king, but you can't pursue the kingdom with, without pursuing the king. That's Jesus, y'all. Are you pursuing Jesus? Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God. That word first means first. Amen. Not second. Not somewhere down the line. But as a matter of priority, first and foremost, above and beyond everything else, we are to seek and pursue after the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you just a moment to answer a question. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. Last week, 
What do you think you were seeking more than anything else? Last, this week, the bulk of your time and energy was spent seeking what? We've segmented our lives. This is my work life. This is my play life. This is my family life. Then over here, there's a little bit of church life. If you have segmented your life in that way, you've missed the point. It's all sacred when Jesus is Lord. What did you do? What were you seeking? Only when we seek the kingdom of God can we give up the anxiety, the worrying of this life, and we have peace that passes all understanding. Do you have that? You can have that. Jesus died so that you could enjoy that kind of peace. Please stand. Bow our heads. Close your eyes. You need to respond to the invitation this morning. We call it an invitation because you're being encouraged to come to the front. Maybe you'd like to be saved. You'd like to know how you can belong to the Lord. How you can know you'll go to heaven when you die. How you can know for certain that your sins have been forgiven. Why don't you respond and say, Preacher, I want to know more about being saved. You come. Maybe there's one here that would say, I've done that. I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. But I've never been baptized. Listen to me. It is God's will for you to have been saved and to be baptized. Baptism won't save you. But the Bible says baptism is the answer to a good conscience toward God. That's God's will for your life. You ought to come. If you know that God is leading you to this church. You believe God is putting you here to help us, to serve Him, to advance the kingdom, then you come today. Maybe you just need to come and thank God. Maybe you need to come and ask God to help you overcome issues of worry and anxiety. Whatever God's Spirit is saying to you right now, won't you come?